receiving, God. Thank you for everything you've done in his life. Uh, thank you for his family and everything his family has meant to this, this body, Lord. God, be with him now as he speaks, God. Uh, fill his mouth with your words. Calm his spirit and give everybody here open hearts and open minds and open ears to what you'd have to say. Um, let your name be glorified above all else. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Pretty good. Hear me? In the back? In the back? Okay. So we're going to continue through 1 Samuel. Last week, Kyle did 1 Samuel 4. So I'm going to continue 1 Samuel 5. If you guys had something to turn there, please turn there because don't guarantee what I'm going to say. I want you to check the scriptures, make sure I'm right. Stop me if you need me right in the middle to tell me I'm wrong so we all know. Um, the reason I'm up here, 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, be subject to your elders, especially the young. I would rather be sitting down watching the preaching and learning, except I'm going to do some learning for you guys. All right. So I actually heard this, uh, I read this quote. I don't remember exactly where it was, but it said, what's worse, being like, uh, hold on, what's worse, being comfortable are being persecuted. And after seeing that too, being comfortable seemed much worse because being persecuted, talking about Matthew 5.10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So I'm up here and we're going to go through this. So uh, for those of you who weren't here for 1 Samuel 4 last week, how it ended, um, Israel went into battle. They brought the ark with them, the ark of God. They ended up losing the battle, and the ark was taken. So after the ark was taken, it was, it was basically wrecked havoc. Eli fell dead. His sons were dead. And one of his sons, Phineas, his, his wife actually was pregnant with a child. And right after the ark was taken, uh, her servant came to her and told her. And basically, right, she had her son. And she didn't basically acknowledge the fact that she had her son. She was lamenting over the fact that the ark was gone. Every, like her husband had died, her, her father-in-law had died. And it said, the glory had departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. Uh, I wanted to start there because it's interesting. So just to give you an idea of what we're going into. So we're in five. We're going to be basically following the Philistines and what happens with what, what they do with the ark and what the ark in turn does to them. So... Just before we even start, you got to think, well, Israel must get ready. They must be, like, trying to get a plan together. Like, we'll give them 10 Israelites for maybe in, uh, maybe their toaster, and then we'll take, oh, the Ark of the Covenant back, too. So just try to get a plan. They're like, we got to get it back. You're thinking they're going to get all this ready, but we're going to see actually what happens here. So we'll start in verse 1 here. So it says, when the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. So for those of you who don't know, Dagon, he's the Philistine god. Um, he's like a merman, basically. So he has a head of a man, he has the arms of a man, his lower half's basically a big fish um, tail. So they brought it right into his house to give you an idea of who he is and what they're, what they're bringing him there for. And it's interesting... Usually when, like especially back then, when there's wars, if you capture, you know, if you defeat another enemy and you get get their god, you usually destroy it. And if they do keep it, it's it's just not common because the Israelites, 
they were told to destroy everything. So every time they won a battle, they were supposed to get rid of everything. So, and they were the godly one. They were like Israel, they were God's chosen ones. So right in there in verse, um, verse 3, so like they basically almost treated it with care. So it's like there's two things. Either they saw some value in it, so they're like, oh, well, this could be something you know, fairly, you know, that looks nice. We're going to bring it into Dagon's house, put it up next to Dagon, and, you know, create another god. Because they didn't get rid of their gods back then, they, but they could add to them, so they could have, like, a variety of gods there. But they never got rid of their, like, main guy and just chucked them out and got a new god. So, giving that there, idea there. Or there could be another reason they brought him there, and that's either just to basically put shame on it. So, like, look, we have their god, now he's in Dagon's house. Like, what, like, that's... What, you know, what's up now? Um, so we're going to go continue in verse 3. It said, And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. So that's interesting. Um, <laughs> early in the morning. So, so if you think about it, like, what do we do early in the morning? What, what's our first thought? Rarely, for myself especially, rarely is it, I'm going to praise God, give him glory. I just woke up like I shouldn't, like this is crazy. He'd give me breath. Their first thing was to go to this idol, this idol's house. So basically that's almost, it's, it's basically me. It's basically, it could be you guys. Right? And you, first thing you do when you wake up, you go and basically to praise your idol, whatever that may be. And what they do when they get there, they find their idols face down, worshiping God, which they should be doing. So basically God says, is showing them, and they don't want to see it, but he's showing them, look, your, I, your God right there is worshiping like as you should be doing because you're woken up right early in the morning. Um, and I want to do a couple terms. Um, John might know this, but he just left. That's from a rapper, so it's popped in my head. But uh, it's uh, theology, so that's the study of God. And then there's doxology, which is the worship and praise of God. So it could be through song. Um, or psalm or anything. And then, so, you can have theology, but it should ultimately lead to doxology. So if you just have theology, that's basically just orthodoxy, just cold, dead orthodoxy only, the truth, but like it's not leading you to praise. If you have just um, doxology, then that can just lead to, if without the proper, you know, definition of theology, then you just have you know, basically turns into idolatry because you don't have the correct truth for it. So that's basically what's turning out here when they're praising Dagon, half man. Like, he's not a natural creature. He's half man, half fish, and they're praising him. And he, even though he's on the ground, they're not even admitting it's God. They put him back up in his place, as it says there in, in the verse 3. And they're acting as if, um, no, they're basically treating it as idol. So they don't have the truth. So that's why it's idolatry and not doxology. Uh, they just... Pop that in there. But I continue in uh, verse 4. So right after they put him back in his place in verse 3. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and, and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. So, huh. So they rose early again this next morning. For, for my, I'm guessing it was for a different reason. Like, it seemed, I bet they got up earlier to make sure that no one saw him back on the ground again. And the thing about idols, I forgot to mention, actually it mentions in 40, Isaiah 41.7, I believe it was, they have a little thing about idols there. And basically, when idols are made, they're not just you know, set up there. They're actually nailed down. They're in place. They're not going anywhere by themselves. So when they, when they found him, 
you know, in the morning they wake up, he's on the ground. You know, that's not no coincidence. So when they set it up aside, there's no way you turn down and breaks basically prostate before, you know, the Ark of God. So the Ark of God is like the presence of God. So <laughs> that was interesting to throw that in there. But, uh, yeah, so they rose early. It was he- his head and his arms were cut off, and, but they're on the threshold. So they weren't even near there. So there's this basically a fishy body on the ground, face down, and then they've got the arms and the head over on the threshold, like the doorway. So basically he just told them all they need to know about their God, and they're still not listening at this point, but actually I'll continue this verse in verse 5. I'll pick just to finish off the paragraph. So this is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. So right after that, they basically treat the threshold where he just got destroyed by God, and God basically had to come up with his own glory because Israelite the Israelites were, they were lamenting over the fact that they weren't making any action. They weren't coming after God at all. Um, so they basically treated it as a holy ground where, because right before God, but, and like, it's, it's crazy because God just destroyed it. So they're going to tell generations of their kids that like, oh yeah, this is where Dagon lost his head in his arms, but we don't tread there. That's why we don't step there because he was defeated by the ark of God and we get, you know, he did all that, but that's why we don't tread there. It's like, how do you still, you know, lift up these things that just got destroyed by God, but we do it daily, you know. Every morning we wake up, we rise early just to make sure our idol's in its place. So there's that. Um, so continue to verse 6. So, so now they're kind of all in a jumble and they got to figure out what to do. So it says, The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. Uh, I was debating on saying what tumors, what I found definition for tumors, but I'm going to say it's kind of gross. Um, it's like a hemorrhoid type disease type thing. So it's pretty gross. So uh, the Philistines, these are big, strong men. They're, you know, they, they can't really be harmed. Like people think you can't touch them. And then he gets the hemorrhoids and the privates and the stuff. So it's really gross. So like you, so he's really humiliating them. But I just thought I wanted to throw that out there because I think it's good to know. Um, so in verse seven, and when the men of Ashdod saw these, sorry, and when the men of Ashdod saw how these things were, they said, "The ark of God of Israel must not remain with us, for this hand is hard against us and and against our uh, Dagon, our God." So they're still admitting he's their God. Like they're still worshiping Dagon at this point even though they've got these nasty things on their body and they're basically struggling to hold on to this idol that they, you know, that's basically slowly make, embarrassing them and ruining them. Um, so verse, yeah, so I'm continuing, verse 8. So they sit and gathered to, sit and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, what shall we do with the ark of God of Israel? They answered, let the ark of God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they, they uh, brought the ark of God of Israel there. So basically they're like, well, maybe, it's almost like they're thinking maybe the ark of God doesn't want to be dwelling here. So maybe let's just bring it over to the next town over. Maybe, maybe it'll have better luck there. Even though it's all in the same territory, it's like a community. It's like the next town over. It's probably like six or seven miles. Anyways, they bring it there. Maybe a new environment might, they might be able to keep it. So... But after they had brought it around, uh, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a very great panic, and he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that the tumors broke out on them. So there we got got more of those tumor things uh, popping out in the next city right when he brought it there. Um, 
it's interesting, like, right when, it's interesting, like, there's a panic, but he's afflicting the men of the city, both young and old, so I don't know what the, the panic's causing. Like, God's not just doing the tumor. Like, he's, messy, he's like, in their mind. Like, they, like, they realize it because they, they have a fear for God. And they, they still get in these tumors, and it's just, it's just growing as it goes on. Like, before they just got tumors. Now they're, now they're in a great panic, this next city, and they have the tumors. So, and then, so they sent the Ark of God to Ekron the next time over. Um, but as soon as the Ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, they have brought around the Ark of God of Israel to kill us and our people. So this city, like, they're already freaking out when it gets there. They're like, this, this thing's coming. I've, I've probably heard what it did to each town. It's slowly growing. God's wrath is slowly growing. He does not need the people. It's interesting how he's going through all this with just... It's just the ark. So that was like that was how you get to the presence. Like only the priests basically, you know, get the holy, the high priest could get to the presence of God back then. So, and this covenant was so this ark of the covenant. God's not going to break His covenant, even though even though they lost the, like the ark, actual physical ark. God's going to keep His promise. Like God can't. That's not God. Like He's you know He's steadfast. He's not going to change. He's ever, not, never changing. So He can't break the covenant. So if it's just a covenant, He's going to get. <laughs> He's going to get done what he needs to get done, no matter what we do. So it's like when we we presented opportunities to, you know, go out to the city or talk to someone. And if we miss that opportunity, God's not going to stop working in the city or stop doing that thing. He's still going to get done what he needs to get done. It's a covenant he has, so he's going to take care of it, whether it be the next person. But I mean, he's he's gracious enough to keep the Israelites. I mean, they lamented over, it, but he's gracious enough to keep them, you know, together and alive. And we'll see. Well, maybe next week if they go over in verse 6, I mean, chapter 6 to see what continues to happen. But um, that was just interesting. So right at the end of verse 6, right after they crying out, so the, they brought this ark to kill us. So in verse 11, it says, They sent therefore and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of God of Israel and let it return to its own place that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. And the hand of God was very heavy there. The men, the men who did not die were struck with tumors in the city, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. So, um, the hand of God. So, as we know in Daniel chapter 7, Yahweh is a man of war, and his hand can either be for you or against you. Um, we read many Psalms where God's hand is heavy on people. Um, and just like this, his hand can be heavy for you, or his hand can lift you up. Um, so, and he, it's funny, when you go back to the tumors things, um, it's actually God's grace, it turns out to be, um, that you actually were dealt with tumors because those who were not struck dead were, had the tumors. Um, and the cry of the whole city uh, went up to heaven. And it never says anything about them repenting of praising their idol and lifting it up, Dagon. So that was very interesting. Um, I didn't think I'd go through that fast, but I did. Um, I know I had some more things to say. Maybe they'll pop in my head here in a second. Let's we'll see. Give it a minute. It's interesting that instead of repenting, they said, let's just get this presence out of here. Like, forget about repenting. Let's just get this out of here and mm. go back to life as usual. Yeah, and what's yeah that too in Dagon when they cut off his head and his arms, it was a little different sign too. So they left just the fleshy part, the, the fishy part there, 
So like that's fishes, you know, they were created by God. So he like separated the two things that we combine. The metal, metal workers used their gifts to combine these things back then. Like God gave them the gift of working with metal and all this and gold, and they put this together, this unnatural thing. But he split it back apart, and he put the head there. I think for the reason he put the head there is for the wisdom of your God is basically cut off. There's no wisdom, and so wisdom. And then there's hand, the hands basically represent like the power. God has no power. He can't do anything. He has no arms. He can't. I mean, it's a physical representation. But he, he basically set the line there, and they treated that as holy. They, they, God will get his glory. Um, it's just he, with or without our help. But, I mean, I know we want to be with him because we, we don't want tumors, and we want to be, we want his hand for us. So. Yeah. It's like, yeah, they don't, like, they don't really recognize exactly what they're really, what presence they're in. And they actually had to go to the Philistines. They got to, had to get together multiple times because they couldn't, their lords had to get together to really decide what to do. They couldn't, they didn't have right counsel, I mean, because they're, what they're idling right now, idolizing. So, yeah. Another cool thing is the hand of God versus the hand of Dagon. Yeah. And Dagon's just lying there on the floor, but the hand of God is heavy on the, yeah. on the Philistines. Mm-hmm. You see that throughout mm-hmm. history. I mean, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had Christ right there, but they refused to give up their works philosophy. Um, and, you know, all of us at one time or another before we were Christians had idols that we worshipped. And for some people, it was very hard to give up those idols in the face of a God that's showing you that this is who I am. Mm. Yeah, and starting out too, um, the way he like softens and hardens hearts throughout the whole story of both camps. So Israel, he has he's given people, especially uh, Eli's stepdaughter, the ability. Her heart was soft in that she lamented over the fact that the ark, the presence of God, was gone. And you know that if you've been in the presence of God, you realize once it's gone, uh, if you know, like it's not that's not easy. You can't handle that. So once he realized it's gone, but he, she didn't have a, almost a hard enough heart to actually go back. Like, no one actually fought for it, while he also hardened the Philistines' heart. He's hardened their hearts up the whole time to actually show his glory and show his power. Like, he needed, that's the reason he did it, to, so he can really show us, you know, basically his glory. He's going to give himself the glory back. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it really stuck out to me when you said, when they woke up in the morning, went to Dagon. And a lot of times, we, we don't think that we run to an idol, but a lot of times we run to our phone, yeah. open up Facebook or something, right? Yeah. And yeah. you have the presence of God right there, and you'd rather run to something else. Right. And another thing I've read too is you don't, you don't worship God at all if you don't worship God alone. So right. it's the fact that if you're, you know, if you think you're worshiping God while you have all this other stuff going on. I mean, once you're, if you're like maybe on your phone or, you know, looking at other stuff, but you think you're still praising God, doing all this other stuff, you're not really praising God unless you're really focusing on him. I mean, you've got these other things you've got to tear down before you actually praise him and realize who he is. So the worship kingdom discipleship, the worship was out the window with uh, the, and basically all this, if you don't have the correct theology, and I think it's a doxology actually to praise him. So... I'm gonna. If anything, if anybody has anything else to say, I'll pray us out. So sing.
work and then for a long time it didn't work and then now it's working again. So so we'll wake up every so we'll wake up every day. Whoever the first gets to watch the movie first and to somebody else wakes up and then they watch it and then and then it's their turn and then they wake up again. and then the the last person to wake up gets out of the last. Right. So yeah, you want to wake up with you know Jesus on your mind and God. So and that's good that you repented that. That's I could that'd be tough. I got stuff. Uh, better hope you don't get any tumors. But. All right. I'm gonna pray this out. All right. God, thank you for this time. I was allowed to share, God. Help it to help somebody here, God. That'd be your word. Um, God, prepare our hearts now. Soften us to really get go into the, the singing of worship, God, to really focus on you right now, Lord, and just to lift you up like you need to be lifted, God. Help, it, help our theology to align with our doxology so we're not having this idolatry, Lord. Help us to wake up in the morning just yearning to be with you, Lord. God, we thank you for this time together, and Lord, and help us to lift up your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Cell 53, proclaiming the kingdom of God for the sake of the city. For more resources, visit cell53.com.